come to God's word this morning, it is good for us to go to him for help. Let us pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we do acknowledge that we are sinful people. We do acknowledge that far too often Lord, we think of those things that are untrue. We let our mind be clouded by those things that are not pure, that are not lovely or commendable or honorable or worthy of praise. Father, we ask now that you would tune our hearts to Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our minds and illumine our thoughts, that we might know you, that we might love you and cherish you, and that we might serve you with all that we are. Father, we pray that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For God, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It feels a bit weird this morning to be before you and to not be preaching from Romans. What a wonderful time we spent for most of the year in that great letter of Paul's. But we won't have to wander very far to get in uh, the right mindset. We're going to turn our attention to another of his letters this morning. And as you turn to Philippians, either in your Bible or in the bulletin, I'd like to set the context a little bit before you. Keep in mind it's always good uh, that we labor in God's Word within its context. And I'd briefly turn your attention to a few things. Uh, First, we believe that Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned uh, in Rome. And that couldn't be uh, overstated. uh, To be imprisoned and to be saying things like rejoice or give thanks. Uh, So keep in mind that he is imprisoned as he is writing this to the Philippians And moreover, note also that he was writing to a church that was under the persecution of that same government. He's writing to people who are being afflicted and wrongly accused and persecuted. And he writes to encourage them and to give them hope. And so too should our passage give us hope. And should it also encourage us just as it did them so many years ago. Well, let us now turn our attention to God's Word. We'll use this passage as a unison reading, a reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Let us read God's Word together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. 
For I have sworn before you and Almighty God the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, in order to assure the survival and the success of liberty. This much we pledge, and more. If you recognize those words, they're from John F. Kennedy's inaugural address. On this past Friday, November 22nd, we marked the 50th anniversary of the late JFK's assassination. Of course, I wasn't born then, but I suppose that many of you here today could remember exactly where you were, what you were doing. I suppose some of you may even remember the way you felt or some of the very thoughts that you were thinking. I wonder, were were any of you giving thanks? Now, I want to be clear. This isn't some bold political statement. I'm not presumptuous enough to think that Christians should ever delight in evil or wish ill will to those who are sworn to protect and serve them. Never that. I don't wish to efface a man's memory or his legacy. But in light of our passage, I'll ask you again. Did you give thanks to God at the death of JFK? Or maybe a little more pointedly, do you think that the Kennedy household would have had any reason to give thanks for that terrible day in 1963? Well, probably not, but as Christians, I think we must ask ourselves, why not? After all, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a passage very similar to the one before us, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. My beloved, Paul is no fool. You might say, well, you know, Pastor, those are just nice platitudes. Those are things that he said to make us feel better. They're just, you know, expressions that we all say. Kind of like, hello, or how are you in the South? You know, we don't really ask Oh, how are you doing? You don't want to hear the answer. You just, it's a polite expression. Hey, how are you doing? Great. And you just keep on walking. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. He's not simply trying to boost the morale of those who are being persecuted. You know, as if to say, you're probably going to be killed in the near future, but just make sure you do it with a smile on your face. That's what God wants. That's not what God wants. That's not what Paul is writing to the Philippians. That's not what... He wants us to hear. You know, that's the old, just grin it and bear it motto. I think Paul was acutely aware of his circumstances and those to whom he was writing. So how in the world could he be so shallow, so hollow, to say that they should rejoice in the midst of persecution and suffering? Well, maybe it is that we're not reading Scripture quite as closely as we ought Let's look back at our passage, and we'll take this in two parts. First, the the 
first paragraph, Paul writes to the Philippians, Rejoice! Again, I say rejoice. The expression is as if to say rejoice and keep on rejoicing. You know, that doesn't seem too hard of a task when things are going well. Everyone likes to be happy. We love to have delight and laughter fill our homes, especially around the holidays. And he continues on. He commands them, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Well, that's a little bit more difficult. Let's unpack that just a little bit. The reasonableness could be translated as a gentleness or a fairness or an equity to all. Remember the context. Paul's telling those who are under persecution, treat everyone fairly. He's telling those who are being unjustly treated to treat everyone else with fairness. Just as our Lord Jesus said, don't, don't curse those who strike you. Turn your other cheek. Let them strike you again. Paul is he's telling the Philippians, no matter what goes on, let your grace be extended to those, even those who are persecuting you. Even when it's not easy. Even when it's hard. He admonishes them to remain fair, to remain just, to remain pure, honorable. Now, that's a little bit more difficult, but you know, we might try at that. We might give a good effort towards loving those even who don't love us back. I had a teacher in grade school who said, you know, you should, you should kill those people with kindness, those who treat you unfairly. I never really liked that expression, but you get the idea. Well, he continues on in our passage, and he says, the Lord is at hand. That's a short little phrase. It seems a little bit out of place in the context of the passage. All these imperatives, rejoice, give thanks, don't be anxious. And he says, the Lord is at hand. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Just tuck that away. I think it's very important. But finally, he comes to the end of this little section with the imperative to not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I don't think anyone in this room is anxious about nothing. We all have those anxieties and those worries and doubts and fears that all too often plague our lives. How could Paul say, don't be anxious about anything? You know, is that just some trite saying that he's giving the Philippians. You know, we think, I don't know if we have enough to make the mortgage payment. What will we do if you, if you lose your job? How could we ever get our kids to behave? How will this depression ever end? What will they do if they know that we're, we're separated, that we're moving towards divorce? Will my parents ever really listen to me? Will they ever stop fighting? I don't even know if I can love God. Beloved, these doubts and these burdens, this pain of our life is very real. How could Paul tell us not to be anxious? How can he talk to us about the peace of God in the midst of all this pain that we feel? All of these trials. JFK said, We'll do this at any price. Do you think that he knew that the Lord would call from him his life 
barely three years later? How can he tell us not to be anxious? I think it comes down to that one little word, right? In the midst of all of that, we so easily gloss over. Thanksgiving. After all, we're celebrating Thanksgiving this week, are we not? The turkey and the cranberry sauce, all the wonderful things. But Thanksgiving for what? In the midst of all of that bleakness that I just described, Thanksgiving for what? I can try to be thankful, but is that going to overcome all of the burdens, all of the doubt? We're to give thanks because of that odd little phrase, the Lord is at hand. We're to to give thanks because we know that that God and Jesus Christ has drawn near to His people. You know, the, the phrase could mean that Christ will soon return. Yes, it's... It has the end times kind of effect, but it also means that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has come to live in each of us. There's there's no way that we could overstate the importance of that. That the God of the entire universe, the one who's made every atom, the one who's filled everything with life and meaning, has come to fill each of us in the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit. Beloved, Paul says, give thanks because of this reality. You know, being mindful of our context, we have to understand that we sit at the end of the letter. And these aren't trite sayings. They're not just platitudes to try to make them feel better. In the previous chapter, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain The resurrection from the dead. Listen to this. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, Paul gives this heart response to the Philippians. He says the reason why you can rejoice. The reason why you don't need to be anxious in any circumstance. The reason why you're to let your reasonableness be made known to all is because you give thanks that the Lord Jesus Christ has made you His own. Notice He's not saying you need to do all of these things and then God will love you. He's saying the Lord Jesus Christ has made me His own and therefore I press on. I press on through the doubts, through the worry, through the pain, through the heartache. I press on because I know that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Because I know that if Christ Jesus holds me in His hand, there is not a thing in all the world that could shake His grip. That's why I give thanks. That's why we could give thanks that something as horrible as the assassination of our president. God forbid that ever happen again. 
But should it happen, let it be a glorious reminder to us of how precious life is. Of the fact that we can have eternal life now. It's not as if God says, you know, you're a terrible people, you're a mess, you've got a lot of work to do, now you need to start earning your way back to my favor and my grace. He says all of those hard things. And the pain in our life confronts us with that reality. A pastor friend of mine once said, you know how we can prove that the wages of sin is death and we're all sinners? Because everyone dies. I mean, it's that simple. We're confronted with that reality. The good news is that the gospel is free to all of us. That the, the truth of that statement, that Christ has made you his own, is being offered right now in your hearing. Faith and belief in Jesus Christ to save you is all you need. I've got an illustration I want to use, and I think it's very appropriate. I used it in the earlier service, and it's still true. My hands are freezing. I haven't been able to warm up at all. I came from Bon Clark, and last night I was at a wedding, and you went outside, and it was like 20 degrees. The wind was blowing, and it just cut right through you. And in that moment, I was so very thankful that I had a warm overcoat. This morning, I was so thankful that I had heat in my car. But I want to ask you a question. In the heat of summer, when you're sweating and it's buggy and you've got to take three showers just to stay clean during a day, do you stop and think to yourself, oh, I thank my God for all of those coats in my closet. I thank my God for all of those blankets in the boxes. No. You thank God for your coats when it's cold. And that's right and that's good. And what a wonderful praise we have and we should help those who aren't as fortunate. But you see the point. We're wired in such a way because of the fall. that We only give thanks when we understand our great need. Beloved, there is no greater need in your life than for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dead. You are just as dead now as if you were on your deathbed. I know that sounds harsh. That's offensive. No one likes that. To say that I'm, I'm just as good as if I were dead. And death is ugly. And death is cold. And you know, we're, we're an insular type of creature. We like to hedge in our life with all the comforts. We like to put things in place that that keep death at arm's length. You know, it just stave it off for a little while longer, a little while longer, a little while longer. But ultimately, beloved, you and I will face death. That cold, stinging reality. But I'm here to tell you, Paul says, I count it all as loss for the sake of gaining the Lord Christ. In fact, if I live, it's to Christ, and if I die, it's gain. You see his point. If you know your need now, the greatest need of the love of Christ and the freedom from sin and death that he gives you, and don't underscore that. I mean, think about the reality of that. I partake in all of his sufferings so that I might attain the resurrection. The real life, as he says, that that on the, on the day that the Lord Jesus would come back, that He would transform our dead, cold, dying 
bodies into glorious ones. What a beautiful picture of hope. And as you're sitting cold this morning, as many of you are bundled up in your coats, seeking warmth because of the need that you have to stay warm, beloved, it is in Christ Jesus and the great blanket of His grace that He gives you life. He gives you freedom from all of this. So even in the pain, as we lose loved ones, as we're separated from them for a time, We give thanks to God, not because we're morbid, not because we like death or the evil that it unravels in our life, but because it reminds us that God is about the business of making us his own, of bringing about new life in Christ Jesus. And so we move on briefly to the second part of our passage. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, commendable, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You want to know what's true, what's commendable, what's just? The resurrection. There is no greater truth in your life to think and to dwell upon. The fact that even though we all march steadily towards death, the Lord has conquered all of that. He's conquered death in the grave. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh grave, is your victory? You will not let your Holy One see corruption. But God will call us all back in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we sit around our tables this week, as we give thanks back to God, I would encourage you, don't just give thanks for the turkey, the stuffing and all of the delight that that brings for the parade or the the great football games that are had. All of those are good things. We should give thanks. But I encourage you, give thanks for all of those things that trouble your heart. As Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, in the pain, in the agony, in the sorrow. Give thanks because in those moments, God is and will demonstrate His power to redeem. He will show you that His grace is sufficient. And we're to let our requests be made known to Him. I wonder if you caught that great change of phrase that Paul gives. You know, in the first part of our passage, he says, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. You notice what he says at the end when you're practicing those things out of a heart that is motivated for gratitude. He says, then the God of peace will be with you. Not just the peace of God. God Himself will come to dwell in your hearts and in your lives. And though you see the world falling apart, though you see so many problems around the world, God will proclaim His truth in your very being that He is about the business of making all things new, of redeeming and reconciling the world to Himself. That in Christ Jesus, the picture of that reality, that He rose from the dead, That that is the mark of your hope. And that we should forbear all things 
whether it be suffering or persecution or nakedness or danger or famine or sword, all of those things we should forbear because we know that nothing, nothing in all of creation could ever separate us from His love. JFK ended that inaugural address with these famous words, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Christian, this is what I say to you this morning as you see it in the title of the sermon. Ask not what you can do for your God, but ask what your God has already done for you. God has accomplished salvation. And He is faithfully applying it to your life. It may be slow, it may be steady, it may have its turns, it may have its ups and its downs. But He's applying the power of the resurrection to each of your lives this day and forevermore. So give thanks, even in the difficult times, even in the hardship and the brokenness. Because you know that in the Lord Jesus, everything is yes and amen. We're about to sing these wonderful words. Even so, Lord, quickly come to thy final harvest home. Gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. They are forever purified in thy presence to abide. Come with all thine angels come. Raise the glorious harvest home.